Hey there! Welcome to episode 32 of the Authors Read Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Ryan. Today's guest is Jason Valadeo, and he'll read from his book, Exceptional Every Day, an empowering process to unlock your why and transform your life. Hello, everyone. I'm Jason Valadeo, and I am the author of Exceptional Every Day, an empowering process to unlock your why and transform your life. I'd like to authentically thank you for taking time out of your lives today to listen to me read a little bit out of my book, which I hope you might pick up so that you can go ahead and look into ways to transform your life so that you can design the life that you actually want, not one that someone else might be dictating for you. Really, the overall message of my book is to take a look at your priorities, to take a look at the processes within your lives and those around you, and to see how you can better align those priorities to meet the goals and desires that you have. I've gotten a lot of feedback, a lot of positive things, especially about chapter four. And so today I thought, why not read chapter four to the author's read audience? The title of the chapter is Knowing Who Sits at Your Table. And I'd like you to dive into the chapter with me. Sit back, listen, enjoy, and listen to some of the ways that maybe you weren't looking at life before you hear me talk today. Knowing Who Sits at Your Table. Things which matter most must never be at the mercy of things which matter least. A quote by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Gathering where life happens. I'd like to start this chapter by asking a question. Who sits at your daily table? You probably haven't been asked that before. I hadn't until one of my friends posed a similar question during a talk on the value of life and it got me thinking. Who do we spend our time with and what do we hope to achieve in our lives? The ideas that reflection spawned caused me to change the title of this chapter several times. I wanted to catch you off guard, grab your attention, and not let go. What do I mean by your table? The table can be a physical structure, the place where you gather with friends and family to share a meal. It's also a metaphor. The table is your life's nucleus. Let's explore what that could look like. For example, my table includes Danica, Elle, and Sienna, my wife and children. Is your table populated with similar people or vastly different guests? Maybe you live with your mother, father, or another family member or friend. Perhaps you are the home's primary caretaker. Or maybe you sit alone at your table. That's okay, too. There's no right or wrong answer. This is not a right way or the highway discussion. We're using the table concept to determine who should be your high priority. Your table is where life happens. The table becomes the experience. When you fully analyzed and applied your priorities, relationships are more than superficial. Joy becomes the goal and odds of living a fulfilling life are high. At that table, stories are shared, decisions are made, lessons are taught. Round or square, wood or metal, real or imagined, a physical object isn't important. What matters are the souls gathered there. The table is a communal place for life's love and fellowship, truth and candidness, and affirmation and justice. Within this circle is an opportunity for endless growth. You need to care for this gathering as you would a priceless piece of furniture. Keep it clean, polish often, repair as needed. And always protect your table. Don't allow deep scratches or dings that cannot be repaired or buffed away to harm it. As we dive more into this concept, I'd like to share something I recently heard while watching a movie. Numerous people, including my wife and children, enthusiastically recommended The Greatest Showman. This film is great. Right, I cynically figured my family just wanted me to buy the DVD. 
but from its enchanting entertainment to deeper life lessons, The Greatest Showman was truly a blessing, especially for anyone seeking personal growth. Others agree. I've read online reviews and even found a blog article titled 11 Financial Lessons from The Greatest Showman. On many levels, it looks like the producers, director, and screenwriter hit this one out of the park. The musical is about P.T. Barnum, an American promoter who lived in the late 1800s and founded an iconic circus show. But the truth is, The Greatest Showman is much more than an entertaining biopic. Its main message is that life is too short to spend doing something you don't love. Life's relationships are what truly matter. In the film, Mr. Barnum hits rock bottom and loses his material possessions only to realize that certain intangible things are what bring true happiness. The song, From Now On, expresses the pain Mr. Barnum experiences through his choices. He lives a true rags-to-riches story and climbs the American social ladder to dizzying heights. But tragedy strikes and he realizes the special relationships he has built are fading. The resulting fall from public favor shattered his ego. Mr. Barnum, blinded by material wealth, has lost his purpose. That same disgrace, however, showed him a better definition of wealth. Nothing mattered more than being surrounded by work he loved and people to share it with. Status and attention, favor from strangers who never really understand him or his passion, pale in comparison to love and those things that matter most in life. You too can grasp what matters most in life. Like P.T. Barnum, you will then be able to endure many of the obstacles that come your way. If we set our table appropriately and foster its surrounding relationships carefully, joy and happiness will fill our lives until the very end. Happiness doesn't come from fame and fortune. We must take care of what matters most, and the table is one piece of that foundation. Alone at the table. Some of you might be flying solo right now, and that is not a problem. It's okay to be the only one seated at your table. If you're by yourself, I urge you to try to develop peace and serenity with it, your table. Find a way to appreciate your situation, whatever it is. Being solo might be something you've struggled with for some time. Maybe it's simply a season in your life. Right now, I'm in a season where my table is full. As I experience raising two children, especially young ones who need their parents for everything, I look longingly at quiet moments. Alone time doesn't come very often, and when it does, I cherish it. While I love my girls more than anything, a little bit of quiet time is a gift. Tables for one exist all around us. To paraphrase Emerson, we are the only ones who can grant ourselves peace. Have you ever been the first to arrive at a restaurant? Have you sat there waiting for a friend? Instead of focusing on and lamenting the emptiness, think about whose company you'd treasure. Visualize the people you'd like to gather, and before very long, those empty seats will be filled and friends will line up, waiting their turn. You may even find you want and need a bigger table. The key to setting your table is positive thinking. Own your current situation without complaint. Lamenting is for the lazy. Anyone reading this book who wants to improve their situation isn't lazy. So stay focused on the positive. I've spent plenty of time on my own, without company, at my table. For months, my truck's dashboard was where I broke bread, alone, and I was thankful for my situation. In fact, I've been thankful for that opportunity ever since. Today, my table is very different. I'm living in a different season, one where I work to provide for my family. That time alone, however, was crucial in preparing me for today's table. Being alone, while hardly a requirement for success, can teach a tremendous amount about gratitude and finding good in any situation. Turning tragedy into triumph. I'd like to share a story about a young man who, though broken at times, became an inspiration. Once you hear about his life, I think he'll be an inspiration to you too. 
Jake Ashton exemplifies what it means to sit at your table and how important perseverance is to pushing forward in life. I first met Jake at a Golden Bears team dinner right before a road game against the University of Washington. I was on a four-week assignment from the Navy and handing out per diem money. Ten years earlier, following my process, had led to volunteering with the team as a faculty fellow and volunteer assistant coach, and adhering to my priorities meant maintaining those friendships I'd built then. While handing out money wasn't part of my job, I volunteered to do it because I found meeting and connecting with every player on the team enlightening. At this dinner, I handed each player his envelope. Inside was a daily allowance, some spending money to cover a snack or two during the weekend trip. Somehow, Jake dropped his envelope in the team dining room. He looked for me right away to see if I had actually given it to him. I had given it to him, but somehow that handoff turned into a fumble and he lost it. I had no choice but to help him find it. Minutes later, one of the staff members discovered the envelope, and Jake was elated as $30 can go a long way for a college athlete. In those few minutes of searching, however, we'd made a connection. A few weeks later, before our game against the University of Arizona, I wrote Jake a letter, something personal, about finding his story inspiring, how he already possessed life's necessary skills, and that success on the field was his to achieve, and taped it to his locker. Even though he was getting ready for the game, he immediately sent me a text. Jason, thank you so much for the letter. It caused me to shed a few tears. What a beautifully simple message. I had no idea my words would move him the way they did. A week later, we were on the road to play the University of Colorado, and it was a calm night in the team hotel. Jake and I met to talk. For an hour, I listened to Jake's story. What I'd already heard from some of the coaches paled in comparison to the information Jake shared that night. He spoke with unexpected grace and elegance, and I was impressed by his conviction and dignity. There was little pride to get in the way, and Jake made it clear from the very beginning that he wanted no sympathy for his story whatsoever. After we talked, I knew that, whether he believed it or not, the process was something Jake believed in completely. I heard that Jake's parents died when he was young and he'd been sh shuttled from house to house and relative to relative. That's a short, unfeeling summary for a life. Jake fleshed out the details. Jake's mother and father met while they were patients in a drug rehabilitation program. Everyone present and those family members awaiting their return agreed from, their first, from the first moments this was a relationship destined to fail. Their short courtship produced a child, Jake, and when his mother decided to move on, she left the baby behind. Jake's father had never finished school, though he'd attended the University of Southern California. Lack of a college degree affected his psyche and ability to land a well-paying job. And then there was his addiction. Time and again, Jake's father relapsed. He also suffered from chronic liver disease while he was in and out of the hospital. Jake's grandmother and uncle, who lived in the Coachella Valley, stepped in to help. Eventually, Jake and his father moved out of the greater Los Angeles area to be closer to them. Times were tough. At one point, they had no car. Father and son rode bikes wherever they needed to go. Food was scarce. Regular school was not an option for Jake. Taking care of dad had become his top priority. No one told him to do it. He assumed this caregiver role because from the time he was seven or eight years old, it was the only thing he knew to do. Jake's father became severely ill. Within days, his grandmother was diagnosed with cancer. Both were admitted to the hospital at the same time. Soon after, his father transitioned to hospice and passed away. Jake's grandmother died a few days later. Where did this leave Jake? For a very brief time, Jake's mother tried to re-enter his life. Having never known her, this contact felt strange to the boy. However, not long after her reappearance, she died, too. He's not sure what caused his mother's death. A heart attack? How much devastation can one child absorb? His uncle Lee, who had never been married nor raised a child, 
stepped in to become the male figure in Jake's life. That lack of experience didn't matter, though, as he wanted to help his nephew. Uncle Lee sought legal guardianship. He was to become a constant and supportive figure as Jake matured. Despite having all the cards of a dysfunctional childhood stacked against him, despite spending many days and nights alone at his table, Jake graduated from high school in 2014. He had excellent grades and, on his own accord, applied to a handful of colleges and universities throughout California. Jake was accepted by UC Berkeley. No one made a special phone call on his behalf. He had no connections to the school. He was accepted on his own merit. An excellent athlete, Jake garnered some attention from the university's football team and was eventually offered a scholarship. What a success story. There was every reason for this well-spoken inspiring man to have failed. Jake was certainly fortunate that Uncle Lee became his guardian, providing him with a more stable home and general guidance. But make no mistake, Jake made that life happen. No one else could persevere for him. It takes a special kid to turn tragedy into triumph. Jake strived to pursue his dreams. Without realizing it, he worked the process to his advantage. I'd like to thank Jason for sharing his book with us today. And thank you for listening to the Authors Read podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for the link to the book. If you'd like to support the Authors Read podcast, please like, subscribe, or share. Until next time.